Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast. For each week, we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, it's the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. We're back. It is a somewhat sunny day. What's sunny wherever our, our guest is? It was 50-50 today here in the great Northeast where we've gone from uh, two weeks of nothing but dry weather to the heavens have decided that it's time to open back up and make things happen for us. So joining us today, uh, a man who needs, well, I guess it depends upon the ind- industry you're in, whether or not he needs no introduction. He is a serial entrepreneur, and that has nothing at all to do with Kellogg's, for those of you who don't understand that. Digital marketer, a writer, uh, underwater basket weaver, anything that you could think of. Our guest today can, can handle it for you or at least tell you how to start a business with it or market it in some way. Joining us from Parts Unknown today, we have Mr. Stephen Kahn. I meant to ask you, Stephen, do you spell it the same as Wrath of? Uh, very close. There was a, a comedy show that I was at, and they realized that I was there, and the comedian went into a whole five-minute routine of screaming uh, con so, from Star Trek. So, uh, yes, it, it actually is spelled different but pronounced the same. Gotcha. I, you know, I thought about it as we were coming on. I was like, wonder if it's the same as wrath of Khan, which is, are you a Trekkie at all? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Got to ask this feel this question then original con, you know, the guy from, from fantasy Island can't think of his name right now or Ricardo Montalban, Ricardo Montalban or, um, uh, remake con, which is, uh, what's his name from Sherlock? Um, gosh, what the heck's his name? Uh, it's, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. So I thought they were both great, but I'm going to go old school and go Ricardo. But I thought the 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 new con was fantastic, and I thought that was actually one of the better Star Treks. And I'll tell you know you know what makes Star Trek okay, left turns already today, but you know what makes the Star Trek so great that I did not know until a friend of mine, Cliff, told me this: that all Star Trek, whether it's a book movie uh tv series even the animated below decks which is a little comedy like simpsons kind of thing do you know they're all considered as canon i did not know that everything in those and they will reference back to each other in in things to be like yeah you know oh you remember when such and such happened and it all kind of feeds back into each other very interesting one so they're there's your piece of worthless knowledge today, folks. That Well, also- I mean, I hate to admit it, but uh, I actually went to see William Shatner, my wife and I, where they played the Wrath of Khan at this huge stadium. Nice. It was like it was like they played the movie. There were probably 5,000 people there. And then William Shatner came on stage and did about 45, 50 minutes. Uh, this was just uh, probably about six seven months ago it was it was pretty awesome that is awesome well that see now that's definitely something we we can talk about and would love to hear more but let's get some house cleaning done let's get that going so we can talk about what steve's got going on as always folks over my right shoulder it's the big board for sticker and a cause if you've got something you're supporting maybe you have your own business maybe you've got a marketing firm of your own maybe you've got your own podcast or a band i don't care what it is Reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, even our email. It's all the above the bar podcast. Reach out to me. Let me know what you got going on. I'll give you the address where to send the sticker to. You give me the sticker. I put it on the big board and you get some free advertisement. That's sticker and a cause. Now, what state are you in, Steve? I'm in Sugarland, Texas. Ah, Texas, where it's 9,000 degrees this week. It's been hot and it will continue to stay hot. Yeah, you guys are like when when the when they have the heat thing at purple, 
during the during the news, you know it's hot, and they're like, yeah, the entire state of Texas is under uh, excessive heat warnings. But my buddy's in uh, my buddy is out in Grapevine, and my aunt used to live in Friendswood. I know very little about Texas though, but interestingly enough, our our sponsors for this show. They're headquartered in California, and their parent company is right there in Dallas. Have you ever heard of Budget Blind? I have not. So Budget Blinds, I'll put, I'll give you this scenario. Picture, you know, beautiful custom blinds, perfectly complementing the decor of your home, providing privacy, blocking it. You need this, blocking out harsh sunlight, because I can't only imagine what it's like there right now. And you can get these blinds of your dream just as easy as reaching out to your local budget blinds. If you're up in, in my area, you can reach out budget blinds of East Greenbush or the budget blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. And here's the best part about the entire thing for a limited time. If you let them know that you're there to belly up to the bar, they're going to go ahead and give you 10% off your, your first order, the entire order, 10%, just tell them there you're there to butt, belly up to the bar. And on top of that, you get a free in-home consultation. The measurements are free. They're not going to charge you to just – have you ever seen that before, Steve, where people charge just to measure? I wouldn't recommend those companies. <laughs> That's my whole thing. The consultation's free. The measurements for free. Guess what, folks? If someone's coming out to do work at your house and they have to measure, don't let them charge you for that. Because guess what? They need the measurements to do the work. So they're they're just charging you to show up. They're just hiding it as something else. So these guys are going to give you free measurements. Everything's done in your home. The product's getting shown in your home. And with it being a budget blinds product, it comes with a five-year, no questions asked warranty. The dog eats the bottom of it. The kids throw a baseball through it, whatever the case happens to be. It's five years, no questions asked warranty. Just call up whoever put them in and say, hey, look, I need the one in my front room replaced and they'll take care of it. So again, reach out if you're up in, in my area, because that's where our sponsors are at. If you reach up to the budget blinds in East Greenbush or down in Hudson and Kuksaki, New York, and let them know that you're there to belly up to the bar, they're going to give you 10% off your entire order. Just let them know you're there to belly up to the bar. All right. All that's done. All the house cleaning is, is done with Steve. All right. Who, who's our, Oh, Nate's already popped in. My buddy Nate out in uh, Western Maryland, he's already already here hanging. Nate, this is right up your alley, digital marketing. So let me see if I get everything right for Steve. Serial entrepreneur, author. You have your website, which is streaming across the bottom of our screen right now if you're watching the live, which is Stephen with a V, Mark Kahn, that's K-A-H-A-N.com. So you got your own website. But you're also, how many startups have you been involved in? I've been uh, blessed to have worked with uh, seven startups over uh, many years, uh, all of which have uh, grown uh, at a super quick pace to either uh, have a, a good exit in terms of it being sold or going public that have generated uh, about a little more than $5 billion in shareholder value. <laughs> Was that with a B? That was with a B, wasn't it? Yes. Wow. And how many of these were you a founder of? Uh, well, I, I was a founder of one, and this okay. was, I probably sold way too early. But in each case, these were smaller companies. For example, uh, the last company that I joined uh, was a company uh, with a kind of a funny name called Thycotic. And so I realize it sounds a little bit like psychotic, but it's thychotic. And, um, and that company, when I joined, was a, a little under $5 million. And five years later, we were $145 million and then sold for $1.4 billion. What? Please tell me they weren't making like thigh masters with a name like thychotic. Like I'm, that's the first thing that came to mind to me was like thigh masters. What, yeah, what? basically what it was was a company focused on securing what's known as privileged passwords. Okay. So think of it this way: uh, everyone knows what a password is, but a privileged password is a password that exists throughout a organization's infrastructure. 
So operating systems, databases, applications, really everything in your infrastructure has a password. And if the wrong people get a hold of those passwords, they basically have the keys to the kingdom. And so companies really struggled with um, really understanding how many passwords they have, managing them, securing them, and we help them to do that. That's, that's wild. So Nate's already over here like, Steve, we need to talk after you because Nate does uh, some digital marketing stuff. So I want to start with, I think it makes perfect sense. I want to start with startups for a minute. So you've, you've obviously have a great experience with this. And you heard me talking. We always do our pre-show on TikTok. And you heard me talking as we were closing up the TikTok about I'm very – I'll be the first to admit that I've always been wary of, of startups. Um, I have a, a very close friend who he has done very well with startups. He's been able to, to be involved in some medical startups that have all done well. And he'll tell you that when he first told me about it, I was like, dude, be careful. They're not w- well established because I've also watched people who, who get involved in these startups and they're not, they're not, they call themselves startups, but they're not series funded startups. They're, they're like the guy who's got a garage and he's trying to re- remake the uh, Apple computer out of wood. It's that guy. So when people are looking into startups or or maybe even better than that, as someone who's been involved with seven of them, when when somebody's telling you that they're they're either involved with a startup or they're going to be a startup, what are some of the things that people should be on the lookout for to make sure that it really is what people are saying it is? Yeah. So one of the things that I have learned over the years is most startups, when I think of a startup, first of all, um, just to define a startup, right? And so I think that if you look at the Small Business Administration, they'd give you some generic definition, which would be something along the lines of a business that has only been in business itself for under a year and is in the formative stages. And that vague definition doesn't really tell you anything. And so to me, I think the best definition of a startup that I've heard is from a mentor of mine who owns a venture capital company, a CEO that I had worked for by the name of Doug Irwin. And he said that a startup is, um, it's sort of like the last frontier for outlaws. It's, it's, it's the place where nonconformists can live, create, and sell their ideas. And, and to me, it's like, how cool? Who doesn't want to be involved in that? Who doesn't want to be the rough-riding rebel that uh, is running circles around the big bureaucratic companies? And so, uh, first of all, I think a startup, is, it's a culture. It's a, it's a mindset. It's typically a small team of crazies. <laughs> that are hell bent on changing the world. And I think the real key is that if you think of a startup, a lot of times, particularly young professionals, when you mention the word startup, they they think, well, okay, I got to start up my own company. And really for me, I, other than one time, um, never really viewed it that way. I was looking for companies that already had achieved some level of traction, but really the founders had no idea how to grow their business. And so what I've learned is is what to look for and how to separate a startup because all the CEOs have good stories. So to separate the ones that have good stories versus the ones that have a good chance for success. And so the criteria, at least that I've looked for first, first, Um, is quality people that share your values. And this is really often overlooked because in a small company, people reflect um, the company's culture. And if you don't think you could trust, respect, and admire the people that are involved in that startup, you need to move on. And so you really want to make sure that your own values align with the values of the small team and the people in it. And, and you could read what they post online. You can look into their backgrounds, right? It's, 
it's not that hard to actually find out and do a little digging. I would agree. The second thing is, is I always look for a concept that fills a big market need. And particularly in the B2B world, um, especially when money is tight, which it almost always is, is that people spend money on must solve problems, not nice to solve. And so I look for um, companies that play in spaces that you really got to solve for, where there actually is um, a big identifiable market. And if I see there's no competition or someone says we're the only game out there, I avoid that type of company like the plague because that sort of tells me that I would rather compete against like multiple big boys um, and then find my unique niche than, than a space that is small or really non-existent because there's nobody else in it. Now, which, I, I want to pause you for a second because sure. you've said a couple of things that I'm, I'm very curious about. So I, I guess I get, you know, competition breeds success. I, I'm a firm believer in that. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're looking at that and you, you I want to go back to culture for a second. I've always said this. I've, I've, I'm a firm believer in it. Uh, people don't quit bosses. They quit cultures. That, that's really what when people are leaving jobs, what they're doing. What are some of the things, and you, you've talked about this, you're very active on LinkedIn. It's under Steve Kahn, that's Steve with a V, K-H-N, on LinkedIn. You're very active there. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, if you didn't know, if you had noticed, I'm very active there also. But I, I'm curious of this, for you being an active person there, how much value do you put into that location? Like, I feel like, and the reason I'm asking that is, is if I'm looking into you and I say, well, let me look into Steve and I look on your LinkedIn, I think it's going to be pretty perfect, a professional reflection of your professional side. But if I wanted to know your moral, I might look at your IG and see who you're following or your, your Facebook and see what you've got posted. What are your thoughts on that when trying to figure out culture? I think that if you're particularly looking at posts and looking at things like LinkedIn, I think you could get a sense of, you know, who that person is and what they stand for based upon what they're writing about, whether that's in LinkedIn or some other forum, right? For example, how passionate is that person um, for their company and the products that they represent? Is this something that they really believe in or does it sound like it's a bunch of, you know, marketing BS basically? where they're spouting off um, talking points that were given to them from the marketing department. I think you could tell things like, um, are, is someone writing and do they have the communications ability um, where communi- strong communication is actually something that is valued within that company? Do they seem like they're someone that is um, an I person or are they a we person? Are they giving credit to others? Are they um, sharing that credit? Are they willing to be accountable and stand up um, for, uh, for uh, the attainment of certain objectives, which you could get a sense for in terms of mapping up what they're posting and how the company is actually doing. I think you could tell, like, does this person uh, have a sense of urgency? Do they have a sense of humor? Right. I mean, if, uh, you know, things of that nature, do they take themselves so seriously that um, that uh, it's almost off the charts? Do they communicate in a way that leads you to believe that um, that they that they have a a good work life balance or is it like 24 7, 365 and and that's what they're going to expect of you? So I think there's a lot you can infer. And then I would just add one other thing is that if you're thinking about joining a company and you're following what uh, folks are posting, you know, sometimes I've also, you know, reached out or I've had people reach out to me in respectful ways, right. Where maybe they're looking to achieve the path that I've achieved. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people who have achieved some level of success, um, 
also believe that they didn't get there on their own and 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 they want to pay it forward right and so you know these people tend to be if they're successful they're probably pretty busy right so you may need to be persistent but like they'll often you know you for example linkedin messenger them and in a respectful way ask for a little bit of their time you'd be surprised how many people like actually will respond to that and and might help you right and so long as they don't feel like they're being sold to or what have you Amen. i think that those people might help even more than you think right and so i think when you take all that together you could get a sense of um that the the culture through the person or people that are posting um who work with a company i agree with everything you just said and, and you know it's it's funny you mentioned reaching out and asking somebody for for their advice or their help because who doesn't want to say at some point and and i this is our egos. Who doesn't want to say at some point if 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 I reached out to, to Steve and he was like, gave me this piece of advice, whether I used it or not, and all of a sudden I was the next big billionaire, he would be like, I gave that guy that advice. That's, that's his ego. We, we do that whether no matter what. So people want to help. They want to pass that information on. And please don't try to sell them. Oh, God. I always get in mails. How, how many in mails do you have a day, Steve? With like, uh, well, like the ones that are selling, um, probably too many, and obviously those don't get responded to. I skip them. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like getting a spam email basically through a different, uh, different format. Different format, I, absolutely. So I, I didn't mean to pause you on on things things to be looking at, but I mean, culture to me is so important when it comes to. It really is the change in the American uh, landscape for business. You know, we all just if you follow the news, you know, we we listen that they were talking about 14.5 million new jobs and all this other stuff. You know, oh, everybody wants to pat them. Everybody thinks they're the ones that created that. You know, if you ask one side, well, we did it just now in two years. If you ask the other side, they'll tell you what well, was our policies over the years that brought everything forward. Listen, you know who made those jobs? It was people like like Steve and myself who owned small businesses who were hiring the onesie, twosie, threesie, foursies and just constantly growing because we got tired of the rat race. But we have to create cultures. So when you're and I want to go back to 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 looking at some of the things that people should be thinking about. And one of the things you said was you were only ever a founder once. And folks, if you don't know what a founder is and Steve can correct me. That's the first five members of a startup, correct? Yeah, or really it could be the person or persons that had the idea that brought the company to market. Okay, so what are your feelings when people are like, hey, I want to be part of this startup, but maybe, and I think maybe this is my mindset, startups are attractive because of the equity side to it. You know, hey, we're going to give you some equity into the company. What do you think for people when they see a startup and they're like, ah, they've already been around for a year. I'm not going to get any good equity or maybe I won't get it. What are, what are your feelings or, or even going into the, to that process? What should people, what are some of the pitfalls of that process that people kind of do themselves dirty? Yeah, I think, um, so first of all, you want to, again, pick a startup that you believe has a good chance for success. And, and it's some of the things we talked about. It's, it's having a product you believe in, but it's also uh, joining a company that has enough runway to actually get off the ground, right? And so, you know, that means that there's enough funding that the company has a chance, right? And so, and how do you know that? Like, ask, right? And so... <laughs> Um, a lot of people don't do that. They're concerned about what they feel is appropriate that they can ask. And, and certainly uh, that, that question is, I think anybody could and should ask. And so if you pick a startup that, that you believe has a chance, I believe equity is, is key. And, and let me tell you why I feel that way. Because 
when you join a company and let's just say you're moving along in your career, you, you, and let's say you're successful, right? You'll make more money, right? As your career goes on. And that's great. And then a funny thing happens. Your expenses go up as you're making more money. Right? Amen. It's like you start buying nicer cars, nicer house, whatever it might be, having kids, et cetera. And so like, it's really hard to get ahead on base salary and bonus, really hard. But if you want to give yourself the opportunity to create financial separation, then that's where the equity comes in, right? And if you pick a company that actually has a shot and use some of the criteria that we're talking about, um, that's when like that equity to a lot of people might seem like, hey, you know, it's it means nothing when because you can't spend it. But when the company goes to exit, it's it's everything. Right. And so um, so if you're in a startup and you don't have equity, again, ask for ask for it, but also get a, a sense of try to uh, get a sense of what's the equity structure? How much is out there? Like what's the company valued at, right? Because there's also a lot of stories where people sometimes get equity and they still don't make the money they thought they should, right? <laughs> and so they're, they're, um, you wanna check into that. And by the way, that, that also is why it's good to get in early. Right. So if you get in early, you get in when that equity is like oftentimes just crazy cheap. Right. And so but as the company, you know, you, you, you go through like when I joined that last company, Thycotic, you, you know, when the company is it was just about five million. But then when it was one hundred and forty five million, you know, that there's a big difference oh, in, yeah. in what each share is worth. That's one of those ones where I'm like, why didn't you call me, Steve? Like you could call, you could call me. They needed it. They needed a recruiter. I was recruiting back in them days. You know, I could have come on. So you know, so those are the things that we should be. You know, those are the positives to me. Those are the things where you can really. And I think there's a lot of benefits to startups. And there is nothing cooler in my mind from a a corporate business standpoint. If you were one of the the people that, you know, was there when Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or, you know, anybody along those lines was, you know, put the key in the door that first time and turned on the lights and you could say, I was there. That That is a story. It's like you said, CEOs have stories. That's a great story to tell. The other side to it is, is what are some of the things that we should be mindful of when looking at these companies. And what I mean is it, 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 to me, it's like, Hey, if you, if your CFO is also going around and dumping the trash, uh, and I don't mean that in like, Hey, he's just a really clean person. It's like, like, Hey, we can't afford a cleaning staff. So I need you to also drop. Like, what are some of the, the pitfalls that people should be aware of out there when people are calling themselves a startup? Yeah, I'll tell you what I actually think is the the biggest one, right? So, you know, certainly uh, asking questions about the runway that the company has, what its revenues currently are, how many customers it has, how has the pipeline grown, like just different things that um, is the company burning money, if so, how much, right? Just things that would give you a sense of how is the company being run, right? And and what's the financial uh, shape of the company? And um, is this company like uber aggressive? Is it is it um, running its business in a, a cash efficient manner? Right. And, you know, you might not be able to tell everything, but but you could get a sense. I think the the biggest uh, sort of drawback that I hear when uh, I talk to people about startups is, look, at startups, like they don't have big staffs. Don't you get burnt out? Like, don't you have like no work-life balance, right? And so I think that it, I would say is probably the number one thing that I hear. And honestly, 
uh, I'm sort of like a type A workaholic myself, <laughs> but I've learned how to deal with it. And so like here is what I've learned and how I've uh, mentored or taught others to um, have a better work-life balance. And so the first thing that I typically would say is I would ask that person to open up their calendar. So if they have a, a written calendar or they keep their calendar on Outlook, I'm looking for, is their calendar jam-packed? Like at, and a lot of people would show me where it's back to back to back to back, right? And so um, what I've learned is you have got to be the number one defender and protector of your own calendar. Amen. And, and here's how you do it. Right. And so, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's easy for you to say, Steve, you're in a senior position. And so you might uh, have a little bit more flexibility and, and there may be a little truth to that, but, but here's how you do it. So what, what I've learned is, and I kind of view it almost not work-life balance. I don't like that term. I like work-life harmony better because there's always going to be times like where you're going to have to work a little bit more because that's just what the situation is. And so what I do is I ask people to start booking meetings for themselves and blocking out times in their own calendar two weeks in advance. Whether that is for having breakfast or being home for dinner with kids or going to games, whether that's working out at lunch, whether that's time to think strategically, whether that's um, whatever it might be that could be for, for you, right? And then, um, and then book around that, right? And it'll never be perfect, right? It's like you can't get freaked out if like, you know, there's a particular uh, time when, um, when that might uh, get sort of uh, violated. But I think it's, it's, you know, even just blocking out time to give yourself a chance to think about stuff or survey the, the playing field, right? So you can, you know, figure out like, how are you going to move one step ahead of, your, your, your big competitor, right? This is really important. And too few people do that. And when I started doing it and I, I just changed everything and I, and as I had advised people to do that very same thing, I've had just wonderful feedback because you, you just can't um, be at your best if you're constantly in meetings, in calls, answering emails. Um, you need to be a little bit more uh, sort of protective about your own calendars. And that will really help you to have that better work-life harmony. Well, first off, I love that you use harmony instead of balance. Um, I think that's a great terminology. And the other side is, is I think regardless of if you're in a startup or whatever, I think that goes into any job. We, when I was in the Marine Corps and we were recruiting all my, all my RIs and ARIs, and these were our, our leadership team would come to you and be like, who's got a birthday this month? Who's got, you know, who, whose spouse anniversary? Why is it not on your calendar? What, what day are you going to take your wife to lunch? And they would ask that, that stuff. Uh, and, and kind of throw that out to us and, and say, hey, you need to you need to put that on there. That's great advice. But that goes into kind of, you know, taking that next step. And yes. So Nate wanted me to throw this out here. Nate and I have he said blocking out time for after the lights go out podcast. We're, we're starting a uh, we're starting another podcast. Nate's going to be helping me on where we talk to professional athletes at, from different worlds who after the lights go out, they're no longer in their sport or if their sport didn't have a professional side talking to them about, you know, what has life been like when nobody cares that you used to be this person, they still want you to pay your tab. So we're, we're doing that, but it kind of filters into your serial entrepreneur side. Now, when I hear the term serial entrepreneur, I think of somebody who's, and I want to get your vibe to this, somebody who's starting businesses, getting them up and running, maybe that three-year to five-year mark, selling it off, grabbing another one, doing it again because you like 
you like the start, like you're already in startups. You like the, the feeling of building something that wasn't there. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's, if you have a strong entrepreneurial spirit and you love building, if it's, it's, you're a builder, you're a hunter, you're not a farmer. Right. Like, like I, I'm that guy that I love to get things going, but I don't want to do it for 10 years. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not looking to camp out here. I want to get it going, get it started, hand it off to somebody else and let me go do the new thing. Hand it to somebody else. And let me go do the new thing. So I, I, I love the fact that you were, you're a serial entrepreneur and that feeds into the, your digital marketing side too, though. Cause today I, I, I really want to get your vibe. This is, I'm going to tell you, Steve, besides the startup stuff, this was the thing that I'm very passionate about digital marketing and marketing. If you didn't notice every day at the same time, a post went out about you being on the show. I have that set up. I, I have my own business that every day on multiple channels, there is going to be a post from my Google business profiles to social media profiles just to keep me in front of people's eyes. It doesn't have to be much, but I'm, I want to ask this question and, and I, I balk at the modern day outlook that digital marketing is the only thing. What, are, what are your feelings on legacy marketing and folks, if you don't know what legacy marketing is, that's still print marketing, paper marketing. What is your feelings where with the marrying of legacy marketing and digital marketing? Well, I think that um, that many types of businesses uh, benefit by doing a, sort of a, a hybrid model. Um, and let me sort of put it in this context, though. Right. So particularly in the B2B world, this is uh, some research that's been done um, where there was an analyst firm. Uh, by the name of Gartner Group, that they found that uh, B2B buyers spend only 17% when they're in their buyer's journey in sales meetings, right? And that 62% of those buyers develop selection criteria for finalizing a decision based on digital content. Oh, really? And so, you know, think about it. Let, so let, let's just think about it from this perspective. Let's say you're going to go buy a car. If you're going to go buy a car, you know, you might like go to Google. You might uh, go do some search about that car, right? You might go uh, build the car from the from the, uh, the website. Uh, car, website of the of the manufacturer, you might go do some research for like how much should this, I be paying for this car. You might be looking at like other cars and saying like, well, gee, um, maybe there's a few other alternatives. You're gonna, you may know more about that car than than the uh, dealer sales rep when you walk in the door, right? And so. The thing is, is that's how people buy today, right? And so, like, um, I think that there is a role. What it comes down to is you really have to understand your buyer, right? And you have to understand the full context of that buyer's world. What are the challenges that those buyers have? Where do they hang out? Whether that is um, online or whether that is going to certain shows or, you know, how do you get in front of them? Right. And, um, and then, um, have some sort of, um, content that quickly captures their imagination and gets them to act. Right. And so that could be done in a digital format that could be done in more of a traditional format. Uh, but it really depends upon, who that buyer is and, and figuring out how you're going to nail that niche and go you own that market of which that buyer is a part of. I, I understand exactly what you're saying because I know with my business, I really, I told this to someone recently. I was like, 
I do very well with Facebook ads, but I also do just as well with postcards, like physical postcards that show up in your mail and you go, oh, well, there's a coupon on there. You know, I, I do very well. What's your feelings from a, for a digital marketing? And, and I did this for my business after some a friend of mine who does digital marketing. She's in Texas also. Look at that. Everybody's in Texas. Uh, Jessica told me to do it. And she asked this question and I really had no answer. She goes, what's your avatar look like? And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking like Facebook avatar. I'm like, I don't know. I never made one. And she was talking about my, my marketing avatar. What are your feelings on people that either do or don't have those? Like I have one. I never named mine. Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't name my avatar, but what's your, what's your thoughts on, on really taking the time to dive into that avatar piece? I think it depends. It depends how critical it is important to your brand. Right. And so um, if it helps people, for example, to, to know you, right. Or to help you to differentiate, like I'm all for it. I think that the big, what I found at the end of the day is that if you really understand your target buyer, the one thing that you need to do, whether you're digital marketing or, you know, marketing in some other way is, is to have great content, right? Because it's that content that gets people to, better understand the value of your differentiation and ultimately respond, whether that's entering into your pipeline or buying, right? And so what you need is having great content at all sort of stages of a buyer's journey, depending on how big the uh, sort of that journey is, you know, maybe it's, you know, quick, immediate, they buy something, right? But if it's a longer sales cycle, a little bit more complex, even, you know, a couple of weeks to months, right? You've got to have content that helps educate buyers, that helps them to, uh, when they're in the consideration phase or thinking about solutions, that helps them to really um, evaluate your solution, depending on how complex the, the product or service it is that you're selling, and then even content um, as they become customers. And if you have a gap in content across any of those stages in the buyer's journey, um, nothing will zap the velocity out of a high velocity model than not having uh, good content across those various stages of where buyers are at in their buy buying journey. Now, when you say good content, so... Uh, from a dig for that digital marketing piece, is it what what's more valuable? Is it every post that or or whatever you're using? And I and I definitely Nate, I'm going to get your question because that's that's been something that my wife has an entire idea of, about. My wife actually wants uh, wants a system that would go on to cars. Listen to this one. You ready for this one? You ever, you're, what's the, uh, I can't think of the Tom Cruise movie, um, Minority Report, Minority Report. If you ever saw that where they, they read your eyes and then they send you ads on billboards that are specific to you based on reading your eyes. My wife is very into QR codes. And she says, well, why don't we have, from a marketing standpoint, readers on the front of cars that pick up on QRs that are on the side of roads on our own billboards and automatically would just in your car, you know, put up a, an ad in your car that comes onto the radio or, or whatever it is. So I'm with you on that, Nate, that's a whole thing, but back to your thing about good content, what's better a post that I put out today. And for whatever reason it goes viral and everybody loves it or what's up, Eric, or, a consistently posting. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Like making sure that I'm constantly in front of my people with the same message or having a dynamic message that maybe they only see once in a while. What's more valuable? Well, I think um, being consistent, but it has to be based on having a great, strong message. Let me give you an example. 
So if you, if you look at the last company that I was at that I mentioned that funny name called Thycotic. And when I talked about that, um, that understanding the full context of the buyer's world, right? So I did what a lot of people don't do enough of, right? As a marketing leader, which is I spent a lot of time with customers. A lot of marketers sort of um, are in their ivory tower, right? And so, so I would try to understand the full context of their world. In our case, we were selling to uh, IT admins, right? And these IT admins were responsible for securing the infrastructures for which they were administering. And so when it came down to those privileged passwords that I mentioned, I would ask the IT admins, I would say, well, gee, so how many of these privileged passwords do you have? And like 100% of them said, you know, we have no idea, <laughs> right? And so, um, and it's not surprising because they, uh, they have typically complex uh, systems at cloud, on-premise, et cetera. And so we had in our uh, paid for tool, uh, a feature that would discover those privileged passwords. And so I said, you know what? We're going to give that away for free. And then we're going to give them a beautiful report that would tell them, here's what you've got. Here's the risks associated with that. And if you wanted to sell for it manually, here's what you would do. And this was hugely valuable, right? Because they had no idea. I love it. Right. And so, so then that would lead into things. For example, we would say, well, we would uh, uh, see what they had. And then we would ask them to answer a few questions around um, sort of the, the overall risk that they had. And we would give them a grade like they were in university, A through F. <laughs> Love it. And then because we collected information about their industry, geography, um, uh, uh, the, the, the size of their business, we could then send them a report the very next day, which told them, which got them in the habit of opening our emails, by the way, of how they compared versus their peers. And everybody wants to know how you stack up versus your peers. So it started with, understanding the buyers, having great content, like the type of stuff that I mentioned, and all this fed social media. We trained our sales reps to follow up in a consultative way, like saying, well, gee, so what grade did you get? What, where did you do well? Where didn't you do well, right? Um, and, and so this, then we would market it in both an online, uh, digital and, and non-digital world, but, and we could do it in a repetitive way and into the various uh, channels that our buyers hung out. So it started with understanding those customers, producing great content that we knew would be great. That's awesome. right. And then merchandising it um, throughout the various channels to them in a way that got them to respond. And we got tremendous amount of leads, pipeline and revenue and, and, and this free tool, it's now seven years after we launched it, is still being used by the, the company that, that uh, ultimately um, purchased us to this day, right? So great content has long, long shelf life. That's amazing. And folks, we got to get ready to close the bar up here soon, but I love that. So, I mean... And you just kind of opened my eyes up to something. If Eric, if you're still out there listening, here you go. There's a tool for you in, in staffing. Provide a free tool that shows people why, they're, why their staffing is failing if they hit certain matrices, and then they can come back to you guys and actually make yeah, something. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to just – there was a question on the uh, QR codes. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, if, if a business hasn't started using QR codes, it's time to start, right? And so – and, and, and whether you're using that online or even say you go to a trade show, like, you know, a lot of people, they, they, they don't want to talk to someone, so they, they won't come up to you no matter what tchotchkes you have, but they'll, they'll 
put their phone on and, and grab a picture yes. of that QR code, right? And so have it linked to a great website. Um, and, and you know, you could, you're off and running. Look, my business, uh, Stephen, I still use old school signs. Put a sign in the ground. I go see a customer. They say, yes, we're going to purchase. I ask, can I put a sign in your yard? You have no idea how valuable it is, but my sign has a QR code on it that if somebody scanned it, it would go right to me and they can schedule an appointment. They don't have to call me. They can schedule right there through my QR code. I, I do that. Absolutely. And Nate, because th this is important. This is an important question. Nate always has the most important question. So you said it was, was it five? It was five startups that you no seven startups, seven startups yes. that, that you've been involved with. All of them, you know, sold to PEs or, or or went or or on the market. Nate's question is very important. So, what was your celebratory meal from any of those? Do you have a go-to? Do you have a uh, go-to like this is the celebratory meal for these? It usually was uh, celebratory cocktails, and then if the meal came in, <laughs> well, we know. Well, I know that it's a Carlsberg. I know it's a Carlsberg. We got that, and we even have yes. that on our screen. If you look at the bottom of the bar screen, we have a Carlsberg, Heineken, and Harp. Uh, and if you know what a real black and tan is, which is questionable if you're from PA, you would call black and tan. It's from uh, Yingling Brewery has their own. But but do, you, you don't have a celebratory meal? Like it's not well, like Well, I, I mean, I uh, – uh, gosh, I mean, some good Italian food. is. I'm oh. always a sucker for that. So, yeah, so there you, you have you a go. favorite dish? I love asabuco. I'm a big Asabuco guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like I pretty much I uh veal parmesan well made. I'll never uh never turn yeah. down. <laughs> you so that was you'll laugh. Here, here's a funny one for you. While in the Marine Corps, Steve, I ate more veal parm in the Marine Corps than you could ever imagine because they would have like the veal the veal patties. Have you ever seen a have you ever seen like a veal patty? Like everybody else is like veal this is very expensive you know this is a very nice cut of meal. in the marine corps you would get like a veal patty with like a like a dollop of sauce and a piece of like provolone like sliced provolone thrown over top of it like it's veal parm like congrats right. not bad not bad yeah 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 that that or maybe a good new york strip and i'm, I'm good to go you were a man after my own heart because you said new york strip you didn't say filet i like new york strip I need that fat back on it. I need that flavor that goes with it. Man after my own heart. And I appreciate that. So in, in all these different things, uh, you know, and I, this is kind of, you know, I'm going to put you a little bit on, on, on the spot here, Steve. You know, we've got startups, we've got digital marketing. We, we talked a little bit about entrepreneurial things. I, I believe in the entrepreneurial spirit. I think everybody has an idea that they think is great whether they've ever executed it or not. But do you have any advice to people? And listen to me. And when I say this, I hope it makes sense. I don't think everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. I don't. Some of us are cut out to work for others because that, that stress of taking on your own thing is difficult. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and I hate side hustle. It's called a second job. Guess what, folks? Many people had two jobs uh, in our lifetime. It wasn't called a side hustle. It was called a second job. Um, it's, it's so stupid. It, it's like I can't stand when people say, I don't have the bandwidth to take that on. You mean you don't have the, the, the time? Is that what you're trying to tell me? It drives me nuts. But what is your advice to someone if they're looking to make that leap? Is there anything that you would say to someone that where they're like, hey, I'm going to make this leap and start my own company that you would say either hold up can you answer, you know, this question or these questions? Do you have any advice like that? I think um, I do. I would say, first of all, realize that there's no substitute for hard work. Right. And so um, some people uh, think that there is an easy button. Right. And so uh, I, I wish there were once. Right. And so uh, what I found is um, th th nothing uh, is as important than just rolling up your sleeves, jumping in that trench 
and doing the good work, right? So I think um, that's first. I think secondly is you've got to have great persistence because there are going to be setbacks. There are going to be obstacles. Um, it's rarely just up and to the right. I mean, it's uh, it'd be great if life worked that way, but it doesn't. And so you've got to be able to understand that and um, have a, a great deal of persistence to stick with it and uh, blow past those obstacles, you know, ultimately to win. And I think um, the third thing I would say is that you've got to be someone that embraces accountability, right? And so, um, because there's going to be a lot of it and it will be on your shoulders, right? And so, uh, particularly for sometimes, uh, you know, people like they've been surrounded by a little bit of a support staff. You might not have that in that um, smaller uh, company, particularly at the beginning. And so you've got to be willing to do it all, right? And and no matter what that is, in the early days of the psychotic, for example, I mean, you know, there was there was no work that was too, too big or too small. I mean, if it had to get done, I, I had to roll up my sleeves and do it. And I think if, if you have those uh, characteristics as attributes and that you uh, are also um, positive by nature, meaning at least that, uh, that you have a smile on your face, you're enjoying what you're doing, that, that if you accomplish a goal that you celebrate it, have some fun, like it's, it's business, it's work, but like enjoy it, right? Enjoy that process. You put all that together, and I think you have uh, some of the foundations uh, to to uh, set yourself up for success. I think that's phenomenal advice. And look, folks, you can find Stephen on LinkedIn, as he said earlier. That's his most active location. It's at Stephen at Steve Con or Stephen Con there. No, it's Steve Con there. Gosh, I can't get my head together. And that's with a V, so S T E V E. And Khan is K-A-H-A-N. Um, you'll see him. His, if you're wondering, his profile picture is with a very beautiful young lady. I'm not sure who that who that is, but I, I have a guess guess about who that could be. But well, that would be my wife of over uh, 32 years. Oh, look at that! I, you know, he had this beautiful young lady on his arm. I was going to ask him all about that, but I always got to be appropriate. But <laughs> and also, look, you you have if you want to reach out to him. Also, you can go to Stephen. S T E V E N Mark M A R K Con K A H A N dot com. That's where Stephen's book's at. You can get a hold of that. You can reach out to him there. His social media links are going to be on there. All those different elements are going to be on, on there for you to reach out and see what's going on, what's happening with Stephen. As always, folks, I appreciate you coming on. If you're finding me through Stephen, all I ask of you is please take a moment, go on to whatever your social media. Uh, that you you found us on or even better go on to spotify go on on to apple podcast give us that five star rating write a comment about what you thought about this show i know that sounds cliche i know you've watched your kids watching shows or grandkids and you're like yeah we got it follow like subscribe all that stuff it may sound cliche but back to digital marketing for a moment that is how the algorithms work that is how this information is found that is how we are found. That is how people know that we exist. So it all feeds into digital marketing. It's all the same elements. So look, if you're enjoying this, if you find this interesting, please take a moment, go and do that for us. Give a like, follow and share and subscribe. It really matters. Again, the big sticker. If you got sticker in a cause, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, all those different elements, please send me a message. Let me know and we will get you going. Now, Steve, I know you listened to all 186 episodes of the show. I mean, you've, you've probably binged them. You were really like intensely on all of them. I know that. I mean, because that makes me feel good about myself to say that to people. But that all being said, at the end of every episode, and don't log off after this because we got to talk for just a moment. At the end of every episode, the guest always gets the final word. So what's the final word tonight, Steve? If you want to learn how to be a digital marketing expert Go check out my book, High Velocity Digital Marketing. 
It's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and it's available wherever you buy books online. Already, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been a Second Front podcast presentation found on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. 